This episode is proudly sponsored by Chronologic. By the time you contact a buyer with calls and emails, someone using Chronologic has already held the meeting. Learn more about how to harness the power of AI scheduling at scale. Visit chronologic.com at the link in the show notes. If you have an SDR be on the show floor as opposed to like maybe the events person, and you have some deal with the SDR where it's like, hey, any unowned accounts that you scan can be yours. Dude. Dude. Yeah. Look at the difference between the two people scanning leads and it will be wild. I'm Scott Logan and we're making fun of marketing. Thanks everyone for joining this making fun of marketing podcast. You've got a hard job. And so we were trying to add a bright spot to your week and give you some new best practices, uh, some interesting stories. And for today, we have uh, Sam Nelson with the the famous blue hair, which we can touch on in, in just a minute. Uh, but the uh, SDR, VDR, MDR, LDR, guru extraordinaire. Uh, so thank you for joining us today, Sam. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. So yeah, the, the, the blue hair component, what do you, do you even have a, a bad hair day with blue hair or, or how does that work? Yes. Um, a bad hair day with blue hair looks like today. It has been weirdly like my most important professional decision of, of my life. Like in hindsight, there's a very strong marketing benefit to having blue hair, but, um, yeah, I kind of just fell into the blue hair with a spiff at one point and then I made my profile picture. My content started getting much more exposure and yeah, here I am five years later with the same blue hair. So it sounds like that's how it started with like a, a spiff for your team. You hit a goal, I'll turn my hair blue. Yeah, it was like early days as a manager, so it's, you don't really have that much marketing budget, but it's like, yeah, I could dye my hair and that's kind of funny. But yeah, but then it turned out like I made it my LinkedIn profile photo for fun and then just my content started getting twice as much exposure and then I would get leads for outreach and enough of those accounts were unowned that I could pass them off to my team. And like from that time forward, no one ever on my team missed quota again because I could always just backfill them with these leads that would come inbound. And so it became a really great lead gen tool. And now like I'm so known for my blue hair that if I got rid of my blue hair, no one would recognize me. So that's <laughs> become my thing. But if you think about people talk a lot about personal brand and like ways that you can do that. But like I've read, like I'm not a marketing person, but I've read like the immutable laws of marketing. I'm sure you've read that. And it talks about like with a brand, like the most important thing is pick a color, a strong color and go with it. That's like yeah. branding 101, like the first class of branding 101. And so if your face is like a logo with your personal brand, like it would make sense that you would yeah. have a strong color like a, like a brand does. Funny guys. Yeah, so when you pass leads over, was there an actual lead source, blue hair lead? <laughs> no, but here's the thing that I did that was really smart. And so anyone who's publishing content on behalf of your company is a lot of these leads would come inbound and they heard about outreach from me and they would come inbound to my inbox. And so I put all of them on a spreadsheet and, um, and then checked back on them in Salesforce like a few months later. And it was, it was a solid six figures in um, dollars closed that had come inbound. Wow. And so it was great because it was very clearly a hundred percent attributable because they came yeah. inbound to me. I passed them out. We set a meeting from it, the deal closed. And if it's, wow, that was like six figures. And then, okay, how many people 
was curious about average and just went to the normal website and just requested a demo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But because there was some component that was 100% attributable, it's very easy to extrapolate out and say, okay, well, there's probably some multiple of this, even though we don't know what it is. Because there was some part that was 100% attributable, it made my company very, very happy. Yeah. That's a huge marketing pain point is the attribution component. What did this actually come from? Because the SDRs are always like, oh, I've been talking to them for a while. I've been pinging them for a while. And it's like, yeah. yes. But it was this direct mailer that actually booked the meeting or got you the engagement that led to the meeting. So we're not stealing your work. How do you interpret that type of discussion from the BDR, MDR side on the marketing component of sourcing? Well, that's interesting because my experience is, is all outbound. And so we don't really have to think about that very much. It's just, okay. okay, like we cold called this person who wasn't expecting our call. We got them to go to a meeting, some percentage of these closed. And so that's about as complex as it gets yeah. on the outbound. So like when I was doing my thing, that's kind of the only part that I thought about. Like the, the value of my brand to outreach was much larger than whatever was 100% attributable. But that's kind of the only world that I knew. And if you can at least get a piece that's 100% attributable, um, it's easy to extrapolate out. But I, I've kind of only thought about 100% attributable type of types of pipeline generation. Even though I know that there's like, there's probably more than 100% of credit deserved for everything that happens. But um, focusing on 100% attributable stuff is just really clean and easy. Yeah, yeah. We'll give us some other examples of that. So one thing that I would do at Outreach was... Um, they would send me to high-priority customers that were a high-priority for whatever reason, especially if someone followed my content or used my stuff in their work. And so one time I just said, hey, like, I'm going to this one city. And then a couple of days before, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to a steakhouse and invite a whole bunch of other leaders because they'll follow me. I bet a lot will come. And, like, even with 48 hours notice, I could get about a third of the people I reached out to would show up. And I could meet them in person. And then we got a few meetings and then one of them closed for over a million dollars. And so it's like, okay, like we spent, I don't know, a thousand bucks max on that dinner. And so like the dollar spent for closed business was super, super high. And so it's very easy to say, okay, let's do more of those types of things. So that's another way. And then another way could be like just me making intros to people who follow me. If there's a company that is okay, I like their stuff. If I can make interest to them and they get a meeting from that, anywhere you can set a meeting and then you can look at those meetings and see what closes is 100% attributable. One more, actually. Another one I did was um, we sell to sales leaders. And so when I was in SDR, we, uh, um, I and my AE would go to trade shows, um, like Cybersecurity Month, where we know the companies have a lot of money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we would go up to the booths. And since the sales and marketing leader, leaders are standing there, like we made a whole playbook for... Um, walking by, they would ask what we do and we'd say, oh, well, thank you for asking. And then it's like a cold call that they can't hang up on you on. Yeah. So we'd set a ton of meetings and then again, a hundred percent attributable. So the floor pass is like 300 bucks, right? So we just get one of those cheap passes, go there and then set meetings. And then, so we could spend like $2,000 and we would close, I think we'd close like 50 every single time. So the dollars spent to dollars close was super high. And when we first did it, um, I basically told my AE that it was, hey, we're going to do this and it's paid for. He didn't ask you paid for it either. So I said at that time, that was a lot of my net worth. But um, so it was like a couple thousand dollars and we did it and it worked super, super well. And again, because it was 100% attributable, um, 
it became like an entire motion on our team. And yeah. um, we had an entire team dedicated to it. We go to every cybersecurity conference. We go to all the big conferences. Yeah, it's awesome. Did you send the SDRs always to the shows? SDRs with the AE? Who went to that? What we ended up doing was, since we had data that was irrefutable that worked, we would say, well, let's keep doing what we did last time that worked. And so the ideal setup for that is you have an SDR go and you have an AE go. And the SDR can go and kind of set the meetings with the AE. And sometimes they can do like the initial call in person, like off to the side somewhere. Um, but at the very least, you want to have an SDR because even if the AE doesn't come, you can at least get the meeting set. It's so much easier to set meetings that way than it is to cold call because oh, yeah. they're right there and it's in person. And yeah. so you can set the meetings and the AEs can take the discovery calls later. But the very best setup is you just have, number one, your most shameless SDR. And then like also just like a scrappy AE too. I face the same thing. I actually try to bring when I go to a show, depending on how many people I have, but a mixture of SDRs, AEs, and then some kind of a sales executive or whoever needs to be like the sponsor for the budget of the show, maybe show up on a big day or something so that you can... Uh, see the value and the worth that's there. But then also, I feel like the SDRs, their confidence goes up, their ability to handle conversations on the fly goes up. They remember those back to back to back to back to back to back to back in your face conversations in person. And I feel like it's kind of like a trial by fire on a show floor versus just all, always and only behind the phone. Yeah, totally. And also like SDRs, I don't know at least in my experience, they tend to be a little bit more bold on the show floor. So if you have an SDR be on the show floor as opposed to like maybe the events person and you have some deal with the SDR where it's like, hey, any unowned accounts that you scan can be yours. Dude. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the difference between the two yep. people scanning leads and it will be wild. So... On the note of getting that better experience and maybe accelerating your skill set as an SDR BDR, one thing that is always talked about is where does a BDR SDR go after they're done? Because typically you want to lead that same team. You want to be an A, you want to be a customer success rep or go to marketing. Um, how do you explore that? How do you like find your way to the next stage? Yeah. At least at outreach, the answer is kind of wherever they want it. We had SDRs that were successful everywhere, but I saw SDRs be successful anywhere. Most want to go the AE route because it's more similar to SDR work than anything else. It's where they make the most money. Yeah. There's a pretty high degree of certainty that they're going to be successful there if they were successful as an SDR. So there's not a lot of risk, even though it's usually think of sales as having a risk. And so it's kind of wherever they want. But I was really amazed at how well being good as an SDR translated to being successful as an account executive. And it was pretty remarkable. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a, a split between the most success between a commercial or inside sales rep or joining the CS team. Sometimes they want to be more on the customer side after they get into these discussions and that's what they favor. The other ones are just like, that's the route to more money side and you become a sales rep. What are the skill sets that seem to be the most challenging when going into that role for the first time, especially if you're at a company that just isn't giving you a lot of that additional training and maybe how you overcome? 
Yeah, I can't speak from firsthand experience because I went the manager route. But I will say what really surprised me was if, if we're talking about pure outbound, anyone who performed in the top 10% of that was a top performing A, yeah. like almost without exception. And also, before we had any training for it, that's what was most amazing to me. Most uh, companies have training programs and people learn how to do discovery and do all of these things. What was amazing to me is there was a first group that did that. And it was before the training happened. It was like experimental just to see if this thing worked. They freaking crushed. Uh, they just figured the other stuff out. And I know like the day-to-day job is very different, but the type of person who can figure out the part of the sales cycle that is getting someone who has no idea who you are willing to learn more, the type of person who can do that really well tends to be the type of person who can figure the other things out too. This yeah. is what I've seen. I talk to a lot of SDR managers that tends to be true across the board with the exception of products that are highly technical. Like if your technical knowledge and ability to speak to developers is material to closing, then it's not as much the case. Um, but when that's not the case, the actual sales skills seem to be pretty easy to obtain if you are successful and outbound. Yeah. And what I thought was interesting in seeing this is a I just assumed it would be like the more outgoing, bold personalities are the ones that are always going down that path. But some of the more reserved folks who do a really good job of listening and, you know, speak well and, and not as often were as successful, if not more in many cases. I don't know if you've seen that too. Yeah. Yeah. I would say probably most of the, if we want to isolate the highest performing, like maybe the highest performing ones I've ever seen, I'd say they tend to be more introverted because there are probably different theories on why that might be the case. I also think that they're less like, emotional in the way that they do their outbound. I just think that like quiet reserve people can be a little bit more calculated in their strategy. They're not just like talking just to talk. They have a purpose behind everything that they're doing. Yeah, I've definitely seen that as well. Switching topics just a little bit. Uh, we sell marketing and sales software as well. So I get pulled in as a subject matter expert on the marketing side to our deals quite often. And what I'm finding, which I never saw before, because in my experience with it, I've never had success with it, whether it be overseas or not. And that's outsourcing the BDR team. Right now, budgets are being cut, headcounts are being cut. And so you scale back in those teams. And instead of just scaling back, like I said, I've seen people go out overseas or even just outsourcing in general, even if it is with uh, within the states in the agency they go. What's your thought on that? I outsourced SDR teams. Well... It's funny. So I have a big community of SDR leaders. They're like, like 3,000 of us now. And we meet up all the time. And we did one virtual meetup where we talked about this exact topic. And there were very few, and by very few, I mean like zero active experiences with that. And so not to say that it can't happen. And also like my group is very much like high growth SaaS companies and bigger teams. So like, maybe it makes sense when someone is kind of doing it for the first time. I don't know. I don't hear a lot of people who have done that and have been really glad that they did. They may exist. I just haven't heard it very much. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say the next wave of change is for this role for companies? Because, you know, post-pandemic, they're not in a bullpen around each other all the time. Maybe they're starting to filter back in to be in that cohesive environment. 
Uh, but the way things are panning out now, what is the new way of how these teams can be efficient or, or what's just changing? It's hard to say. So AI, I think the obvious use case for SDRs is, okay, well, customizing emails can now take five seconds instead of five minutes, right? So like the old kind of the existing workflows, that's a very obvious use case. It's very easy for AI to do that. And I actually think that other things are going to make a bigger difference though. Like I think AI is smart enough to solve a lot of the huge problems in sales development that people don't really think about. One of them is prioritizing the right accounts and the right people within those accounts. We bring these kids from college and we teach them how to cold call and we kind of make them specialize in the hardest part of the sales cycle. But then training them on like exactly who to reach out to is not always even done. And so like almost every company that I look at when I look under the hood has this huge inefficiency with just who the SDRs are prioritizing. And you can fix that problem and increase productivity really fast. So I think some company is going to use the intelligence of AI to do that. It seems like something AI can do. So I think that SCRs are going to get much more efficient in the way that they prioritize. I think it's going to um, automate a lot of things that used to be manual. And I guess is that the productivity per SDR is ultimately going to increase. Yeah, I think that from the AI side, I've used it in, in terms of saying, okay, if someone responds with this, I've toyed around with just even in my own responses, if I you know, didn't have 20 years of experience of knowing all these things and being in the same industry for 10 years, I just said, okay, let's put in their question, the value I want to plug into it, and their persona. And ChatGPT will go ahead and give me an answer that is honestly as well written as I would if I spent five minutes perfecting some kind of a three sentence response. On the marketing side, if you have a goal of X number of meeting demo calls you have to set up yeah. for the SDR team, if you have, hopefully you don't have this anymore, but if you have a lead goal, for God's sakes, um, that should go away because a small little campaign could produce 10 times the amount of pipeline as like a massive campaign, right? That has just tons of garbage leads in it, but they're scared of turning down that dial. It's hard to say, all right, well, the volume went down and we have the same revenue number, but trust me, this new tactic is going to generate more revenue because we cranked up the filters on making sure only the good stuff went through. And then all of a sudden you're worried about like holding the bag and being grilled for not producing more volume because that's what they're used to and the sales side might not see the dynamic of what the demand gen team is trying to deal with i'm sure the SDRs have the same type of thing if your only goal is um 100 calls a day and 100 emails or it's based on just meetings and not opportunities well then i can be an sdr and just make 100 calls and set up a bunch of random meetings if i'm not bonus or have a kicker for opportunities are you making sure your uh, SDRs are always gold off of opportunities or do you factor in everything and goal off of everything? So the very best practice would be it's based on qualified meetings held mm -hmm. and you qualify it the best that you can. And so sometimes it's easy. It's like they need to be managing a team or they need to have this software stack. You want to give that criteria as good as possible and specific as possible. So meetings held between AEs and the right people is like the money ball metric. Yep. And if you can get qualification criteria to kind of make sure that, hey, 
we can identify these people up front, just get meetings with these people. That's, that's really great. Everyone has some version of that. Qualified meetings held. It's best if you can get the AEs to accept it as an important check on not just like getting the easiest meetings to book. Yeah. Work at the system. So is that secondary number a pipeline number or is it a number of opportunities number? Well, the usually there's another part of kind of managing SDRs where um, we want to know whether they're being effective or not as soon as possible. And so measuring them on kind of meetings, qualified meetings held, kind of can give us an indication of how well they're doing right away. And so if we wait until the deal closes or it's pipeline, then it's like, we don't really know what's happening for three months. And so if you do it right and it indicates pipeline. That lag is an issue. The marketing side, like I was describing, where you change a tactic, but you can actually see the results of it for a little bit later. Are you plugging in a pipeline number on that first or is it like stage two or stage three the pipeline number goes in there usually you find some version of qualified meetings held and then if over time that's not leading to pipeline then you need to change your criteria so that okay the aes are getting meetings with the right people oh. but usually the aes will define pipeline right away so you know right away but the thing is if you compensate sdrs just on pipeline then you start getting like weird things where some person just like randomly got this huge deal and we're like rewarding this person who's not actually very good. And then SDRs will kind of get weird ideas about what works because this person is kind of making the most. I'm sure you face this, you can let me know, but where an SDR is just on the cusp of getting their goal or getting their kicker or their bonus for hitting a certain number and the AEs, no, those two opportunities, no, they're not, they're not. And the SDRs, no, they meet all the criteria. They are. And I need my damn bonus. Do you ever have that AE SDR conflict on what constitutes? And then how do you handle that? Yeah. I mean, there's just always this attention there. There are some AEs that they won't really accept anything unless they're sure that they can close it. And then exactly. their numbers look really good. And so, like, they can kind of do that as like insurance against getting fired because they're batting average will be really high, but then they're just throwing away any leads that aren't really that good. And then no one really figures it out for a year and a half. Then they go to another company. And so the more you can standardize it, the better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On the note of those meetings, what do you do about getting people to show to meetings? What is the process between when they say, yep, I'll take a demo or they respond back. And is there like something that you're doing that's unique on LinkedIn or something? where you can increase the show rates to that formal demo. A couple of things that you can do to increase that hold rate is two minutes before the meeting happens, send an email with the bridge info. And it also just reduces friction to just showing up because it's right in their email and they can click the link and see it. Yeah. And then also, if you do that, you can see in your sales engagement platform, like, okay, when we sent that email a couple of minutes ago, are they clicking on this? And if not... Mm -hmm. Um, you can say, okay, like there's a risk of them no showing. And then if they're a minute late, you call them on the same number that you set the meeting with them. And, um, there's like a, some damage control you can do if they, it looks like they're not going to show. Yeah. I didn't hear like LinkedIn connection with a personal note or a $5 coffee gift card or any of those types of tricks. Have you ever used any of those or you don't use them because they weren't effective? Um, LinkedIn note, I'm not sure that that matters that much. I have heard of the virtual coffee strategy where you say, okay. Hey, really appreciate you agreeing to the meeting. 
just wanted to send you this um, to make it a virtual coffee. Look forward to seeing you then. I've heard people adding that and having their hold rate increase. Yeah. On the gift card side, my last SDR team, we tested it out and then said, okay, let's just let this go crazy with all meetings. And then it really worked well. There were multiple people in the meeting and you gave separate links for each person. Then mm-hmm. you really got them to like not want to look bad to the other person on your company side because it looks bad to turn that down. And I've seen a boost in show rates based on that. Well, this was a good talk and, and really fun in hearing some of your insights and tricks of the trade and all that. Uh, any closing words you'd like to get off your mind? I think we covered it pretty well. This is a fun conversation. It's fun to talk about marketing side. I don't, I don't talk about that much. And so um, it was fun to talk about. Well, thank you everyone for joining this uh, edition of Making Fun of Marketing podcast. You can see this show and other shows at chronologic.com forward slash podcast. Please subscribe and get all the other episodes at your fingertips. Thank you, Sam, for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on today. All right. Thanks for having me.